Welcome to Jacksonville.Radio. We're a family of radio stations serving the Jacksonville and South Georgia areas. As a service to our community, we highlight organizations and events that help make this area the best place in the country to live. Thank you for listening to Our North Florida Neighborhood. Hi, and welcome to North Florida Neighborhood. I'm Colby. And North Florida Neighborhood is all about getting to know our neighbors and getting to know what they're doing with us and for us. And a lot of us know and realize October as Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but it's also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So today we get to chat with the CEO of the Hubbard House, Gail Patton. Gail, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, Gail, can you kind of first unravel who the Hubbard House is? Hubbard House is the Certified Domestic Violence Center serving Duval County and Baker County, and we provide a continuum of services to help victims of domestic violence and their family. So we have a 24-hour hotline, and that's usually the first place where people reach out for help. We also have a shelter, which is what people typically think of when they think of Hubbard House is the emergency shelter for survivors to go when they're needing to flee their abusive relationship. But we also have more than that. We have an outreach center that's on Beach Boulevard that's co-located with our thrift store and people can walk in during regular business hours and get help whether it's to just find out about their situation or get some crisis intervention we're there for that we also have advocates and attorneys at the courthouse who help people get injunctions for protections we have support groups for children And we have support groups for adults as well. We also go out into the community and talk about domestic violence just to various groups, to church groups, to civic groups, to workplaces, wherever somebody wants to learn more about domestic violence, how to identify it, how to get help, and how they can help, we're there to be able to provide that information. And then we also have a whole volunteer program because people in this community are so generous that they give their money, they give their time, and we are only here because the community supports us. So we have volunteers who do many different things from doing hands-on work with survivors to doing admin things. All of it is needed and all of it is certainly appreciated. It's it's cool because it sounds like the Hubbard House is really a home base that not only, hey, we're going to help you get out of a really bad situation, but we're also going to provide you tools and resources to help you move on. That's exactly it, Colby. Uh, We do an empowerment model, which means we're not here to tell anybody what they should do. Mm -hmm. They've had a relationship that has controlled just about everything about their life. But what we are here to do is to say, here are some options. What do you want to do for your future moving forward? Here are ways that we can help you. And if we can't help you, we can link you with somebody that can. We do career counseling here. We help people get into homes with rent assistance. In addition to regular counseling that we do with people, safety planning, very, very important that we do with people. And then also just helping them, what are your goals for your future? A lot of people have never asked them that question, at least not recently. And so it's helping them look for a future of hope rather than a future of fear. And that's what we're here for. And I'm sure this is going to be a pretty broad question because every situation is different and every situation needs to be handled differently. But what does it look like if I'm in an abusive relationship or an abusive home, if I call the Hubbard House, what do these steps look like moving forward for a caller? So when a person first calls the hotline, and that usually is the first point of contact, they'll talk to a hotline counselor who will, first of all, just listen to them and believe them. And I can't tell you how life-affirming that can be to have somebody devote their time to listen to a person and to believe the story that they're telling. And then as you begin to talk about your situation, our staff can begin to look, listen to and may ask questions to kind of help you look at how lethal is this situation? Because unfortunately, people do die due to domestic violence. If we think about a few weeks ago, we had two fatal shootings due to domestic violence in one week. And so it's really important when you call to just be real and open with that person. You don't have to give your name, but you can tell them your details in all honesty, because we have worked with so many people and we can listen for those signs that might talk about how lethal your situation is and give you options. 
So we talk with the person, then we ask them, what is it that you want? For some people, they are like, I need to get out of this home. I feel if I stay, me and the children are going to be injured even more. I feel like my life is being threatened. And in those situations, we work with a person to get them into shelter. If we don't have space in our shelter, then we work with them to get them in one of our neighboring shelters until we do have space. For some people, they might not want to go to shelter or they might not want to go to a neighboring shelter. So we safety plan with them. We help them look at every part of their life to figure out what is the safest way to move forward. Sometimes people think, oh, I'll just go to my mom's house or I'll go to my best friend's house. Well, if the abuser knows your mom and your best friend, that may not be the safest place. In fact, that may be the first place they go looking for you. And so it not only leaves you in danger, it also puts them in danger. So coming into shelter may be the best thing. Some people may say, if I can just get out of state to visit my mother or somebody out of state where the abuser doesn't know, we can help them with those transportation costs to get them there. And so we look at what they want to do and how they want to move forward. And some people will call the hotline a couple of times before they even want to make an action because they're trying to build trust with us. They're trying to understand what all their options are. They might not be at that point where they feel they can leave or are ready to leave. So we work with the person where they're at. Let's say a person decides to come into shelter. If they have their own transportation, then we tell them how to get here and they come into shelter. If they don't have their own transportation, we can help arrange a taxi to pick them up. When they come into shelter, they'll meet with a staff member one-on-one to just kind of understand what shelter life is about. They'll get a tour of the shelter. They'll be assigned a room. If they have children, their children will be in the same room with them. And we let them know, you know where their kitchen is, where they can get food here. They don't have to bring their own food. We provide that. And if they have special dietary needs, all they need to do is let us know. And if we don't have the food, we'll go get it for them. And you're able to cook your own food for your own family so you don't have to wait for us to cook. And we don't have a certain meal times. You can cook and eat whenever you want. And we just give them an overall orientation of what it's like to live in the shelter. And then within 24 hours, they'll meet with a counselor who will sit down with them and say, okay, this is a temporary shelter because shelter is is an emergency shelter, so it's usually six to eight weeks. What do you want to accomplish while you're here for six to eight weeks? For some people, it's, as I said earlier, getting to another state. For other people, it's, I need to stay here while injunction is served on my abuser to get him out of the house. And for others, they're like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to live. I need to find a place to live that I can afford. And just as a side note, affordable housing is a huge, huge issue for survivors of domestic violence. If you look at the cost of rent, I mean, it's just astronomical. And so sometimes abusers and, I mean, victims end up going back to their abusers because they have no way to live affordably in a home. So in addition to giving rent assistance to those people who are eligible, it's just something we as a community can do is look at how can we help develop more affordable housing for people because it impacts survivors definitely. And without it, they can be trapped in an abusive situation, but it also impacts so many other people to have affordable housing as we just hear in the news every day. So It's a really important issue we need to tackle as a community. And as they're here, they work on that plan with their their counselor. And that plan may also include seeking legal help, whether it's getting an injunction or maybe persons wanting to get a divorce. If they're not wanting to get a divorce, that's not our decision, and we don't tell people what they should do. That is their choice. But if that's what they want, we can help link them with an attorney. And people... During this time, if it's during the school year, we make sure the kids stay in school uninterrupted. They typically won't go to the school that they were at previously just because the abusers always use the children as pawns. And the first place they're going to go to look for the children is at their usual school setting. So we have a a different school opportunity for children. And what we have found that children who 
go to school when they come to live at Hubbard House, that they really begin to excel in school if they had fallen behind, because now they're not living with that constant threat over their head. The children aren't staying up all night hearing what's going on in the home and wondering if they're going to wake up to their mother being dead or alive. So it gives them an opportunity to catch up on school. And then also we have counselors for children as well. What's going on with children? We even do developmental assessments with infants to see if they're where they need to be developmentally because oftentimes in homes where there are abuse, kids don't develop at the same rate. And so then we work with the parent to develop a plan for the child based on what the parent feels best. And so I just can't emphasize that enough that how we provide services is we have all of these things. You can use all of them or you can use none of them because it is your choice of what you want to do for your future. And there will be times when people come into shelter for the first two weeks, they just need to rest and, you know, just kind of recoup and get their head on straight to figure out what they want to do. And that's okay. It really depends on the person. And then we have other people, they walk in, you know, within 24 hours, they're hitting the ground running, going looking for places to live with resources that we provide, going and looking for jobs or going to another location in their current job. It just really depends where a person's at. So I I just want people who are listening to this to understand that you make the choices when you come to Hubbard House. You make the choices of what you want for your future. We're not here to tell you what to do or how to do it. And if you choose to not get a divorce, that's fine. I mean, that is not our choice. If you choose to go back to the abuser, that is your choice. We will talk with you about safety things you can do while you're living with the abuser. And then we're always here for you if you decide that you need to leave again. It really is their choice and their call for what they want to do for their lives. And and I think that's important because sometimes when people come into shelter or service organizations, they sometimes think they're going to tell me, they're going to make me do X, Y, Z, and we're really not about making people do stuff. We're here about this is what we have for you. You choose what's best for your life. And as they seek guidance, we give that guidance. We give that support. We walk that path with them. Right, and and I think that's really comforting to hear because like you just reiterated so many times, people who are in these terrible relationships feel like it's going to get even worse if they call these people because then that's just another form of control in their mind. Right. But you're saying, no, we just have resources and we're here to help. We're not controlling in any way, but we're presenting something. If you want it, then take it. Right. Exactly. And Gail, I I had the opportunity to sit in on the press conference that um, the Hubbard House did. I think it was about a week and a half ago. And Everybody was giving some data comparing 2020 to 2019 abuse cases and just things that have popped up over the past year that are different than last year. Can you kind of unravel the difference that we've faced this year, um, especially with COVID and how that's played a role in abuse? It definitely has played a role with abuse. We have seen um, law enforcement report that they've seen a 5% increase in domestic violence calls this year. We also have seen a 5% increase in calls to our hotline related to domestic violence. And if you think about it, when COVID hit, you know, we first had somewhat of a lockdown where people were staying in their homes. And what that means to victims of domestic violence is now they're quarantined or isolated in their home with the abuser. The abuser has greater access over longer periods of time with their victim. But conversely, the victim is not going out where they can get help or get support from other people. They are now locked in this home, so to speak, with the abuser without the normal resources that they would have. And when this first started, JSO actually was seeing an even greater increase, but we were seeing a decrease in the hotline. And that made sense because a person... If they're now isolated in the home with the abuser, the abuser can hear their telephone calls. Mm. So what we did was, okay, we need to provide another outlet for survivors in case they can't verbally talk on the phone. So we developed a 24-hour text line so a person could text us for help if they didn't feel it was safe enough to call us for help. And for some people, they think texting might be more dangerous, so they'll call us. So we wanted to provide options, and this allowed just another point of access for survivors to get help with us because what we know from the pandemic is those normal times when 
survivors go out and get help. It might be, I'm going to go run to the store and get some food. And they go to the store, but they pull over and they call us. Or they go to work and they're seeing their friends face to face and friends are asking them questions like, how'd you get that bruise? You seem kind of upset today. And so they talk to their friends and the friends work with management to get the person help. Well, all those things changed. When we began isolating and working at home, all those regular avenues of getting help closed off to survivors while abusers were there all the time doing what they do, which is abuse and threaten and control victims. So it's not unexpected, but it is scary because because we know that even today, even though different states have gone to different phases of opening out, people are being very judicious and careful about where they go compared to how we used to do it. And so there still are those uh, lack of readily readily available resources and people still are working from home so you're talking about people still being confined together whereas a year ago they may not have been so confined so it's just important to realize that you as a family member or a friend if you have a suspicion that a person might be in an abusive relationship you know there are things you can do if you can talk to them safely and usually you talk to people by asking them questions that they can answer yes or yes or no so that the person sitting by them can't hear the actual conversation or if you know somebody as a facebook friend and you think they might be in an abusive relationship i wouldn't call them out on facebook about that but just on your own feed post the hubbard house hotline or other domestic violence hotline and if they're your friend they'll see it and so you'll be able to get that information out. So it's just different ways of being very strategic to reach out to help people that are trapped in situations at an even greater level than we were even a year ago. One thing that one of the women from the press conference said was, if you suspect something, make a connection. And th- this doesn't mean a typical hey, I'm, I'm going to do a rescue run and pick you up out of your house and drop you off at the Hubbard house. but. Ask these questions and form a friendship so you do have that into say, hey, I, I think you need help and I have this place that can help you. Exactly. Don't be afraid to breed the conversation up. If the person denies it, then they deny it. And if they deny it, but it's true, don't take offense to that because denying it is a way of keeping them safe. They may be denying it because they've been told if you tell anybody, I'll kill you, I'll kill mm-hmm. the kids, I'll kill your mother, I'll kill your father. So they may deny it. But just know, you asking the question, you being a friend and reaching out and saying, whatever, I'm here for you if you ever need to talk. I am somebody that you can reach out to no matter what time. Call me, text me, let me know you're okay. Because when they are ready to make a move, they're going to go to those people that reached out to them rather than somebody that never said anything. So you make an excellent point. Making those connections, keeping those connections with our family and friends is so important, not only because of the situation we find all of ourselves in being isolated, but with survivors, that isolation turns into physical injury and possible death. So that's even more important. It's obvious that the Hubbard House works hard and does good year round, but like, like I mentioned before, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So I want to know, how is the Hubbard House bringing awareness to what's happening in people's everyday life? Well, what we're doing this year that we've never done before, and it's because of COVID, is we are having a virtual awareness breakfast. It's at 8 o'clock. It's a Facebook Live event. And during though that event, you will be able to hear stories from survivors just amazing stories of courage and hope and how people were able to get out of their abusive relationships and where they are today, which is just so inspiring. And during that live event, awareness, and it's free. If a person goes to hubbardhouse.org backslash breakfast, you can register and you'll get the link to the Facebook live event. And it's free because of generous sponsors. You'll be able to hear these amazing stories, and you'll also be able to learn about how people can get help. So that in itself brings incredible awareness when you actually see somebody who has walked that journey and is now on the other side of abuse. That really does give a lot of hope, not only to survivors, but also gives a hope to family and friends and just community members to see how 
helping Hubbard House and helping survivors makes a huge difference in that person's life, in their children's lives, and for generations to come. Because now that family is not embedded in violence. They're embedded in freedom and hope. And that's just a different path that that whole family takes from here on out. So that's a way that we're bringing awareness. We're also doing a lot of different media spots. We're doing community education, um, virtual community education with people to talk to them about what's going on as far as services that are available. And of course, we continue to provide services. We want people to know that we had never closed during the pandemic. The shelter was always open and our outreach services did close for about a week or two. Then we opened them back up and we're doing in-person and virtual meetings with people through our outreach program. So we are here for people 24-7 365 days out of the year, and we're just making that awareness greater during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And Gail, for on my end, when I got to sit in on the press conference, someone actually shared their survivor story, and that's the first time I've ever heard a story like that. So just bringing that awareness to me opened my eyes, and it was incredible. Just a very quick rundown was she was in an abusive relationship for I think 20 or 21 years Mm -hmm. and and you think okay well this is just my life I've been in it this long this is how I have to live from now on but it was so encouraging to hear how the Hubbard house 20 years ago picked her up from that and helped her create this new life where she's she's remarried and such a such a pure and beautiful atmosphere and it just goes to show that it's never too late and the Hubbard house is there through it all. So just bringing awareness to me, and now I get the opportunity to share what I learned to other people. Right, and the beauty of that story, too, is it was a friend who told her about Hubbard House. Yeah, and exactly. And that was a connection that had that friend not been there to help her, you know, who knows how her life would have turned out. And so just little ways of placing ourselves in these different resources that you're providing, but how else can the community come behind you, stand behind you, support you, and bring awareness during October as well? They can do many things. I talked about it. Post on your own social media information about our website. We have a Facebook presence, and you can always share our posts there. We have a lot of good information, and all it takes is a couple clicks of the button, and you can share it with your entire media. Share about this awareness breakfast because you are going to hear amazing stories from survivors and it just gets the message out we also if you go to hubbardhouse.org you'll find other opportunities for us to provide education a speaker at um, with your group now it may be a zoom because you know we're still trying to be very conscientious about the virus and looking at seeing how that happens but we have been able to do that through zoom pretty effectively and then also we have some volunteer opportunities we are being very careful about that as well and then as we move into the holidays in November and December we have opportunities for the community to provide toys for our holiday store to adopt a family to help provide a Thanksgiving meal for people in shelter and for some of our people in outreach and then of course always we welcome donations to Hubbard House because we can't do what we do without the generous financial support of the community and every penny every dime helps a survivor lead that life free of violence gail what's a good website or a facebook contact where we can get more involved and learn more and give more if you go to hubbardhouse.org and then that will has links to our facebook to our twitter to our instagram all those social media areas all you have to remember is hubbardhouse.org and then when you go on that website you will find a lot of information well gail thank you so much for being such a huge part of our community and for being such a great neighbor and serving us so well thank you for bringing this message you are going to save lives because you're creating this awareness and i really truly appreciate it thank you Thank you for listening to Our North Florida Neighborhood. Listen again next week, and if you have an event or organization you'd like highlighted, please contact Colby King at Colby, C-O-L-B-I, at jacksonville.radio.
SNC Square Roofing, everything you should expect from a roofing contractor and more. Hey, it's John Vitas, the voiceover guy. SNC Square Roofing replaced my roof, and I'm here to tell you, my wife and I were amazed at their quality of work and how well they kept the job site so clean. SNC Square Roofing, from the estimate to the last shingle, you can count on a job well done. SNC Square is a certified certainty shingle master applicator. Give my roofer a call today. SNC Square LLC, roofing with integrity. Call 524-8621. That's 524-8621. Switch to T-Mobile for Business and get up to 90 days of service free via virtual rebate on your business plan. You get a great deal, the largest 5G network, and first-class benefits like Microsoft 365 on us. It's better for business and only with T-Mobile for Business. Limited time offer. Stop in-store for details. Plus taxes and fees for some plans. Virtual Express MasterCard within eight weeks of receipt of valid submission. Complete port within 60 days. See T-Mobile.com for 5G devices, coverage, and plan details. Want professional tax prep at a great value? Jackson Hewitt has an offer you won't want to miss. For a limited time, we'll prepare your federal taxes for as little as $48 and no more than $179. That's right. Get federal taxes done for you by skilled Jackson Hewitt tax pros in Walmart for as little as $48 and no more than $179. This offer won't last. Offer expires March 15th. Stop by Jackson Hewitt in Walmart and get your coupon code and details. That's Jackson Hewitt, conveniently located in Walmart. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Come on, one more rep. You got this. Uh, There it is. Nice work, man. You're a beast. Thanks, man. I feel better than I have in years. And I got to tell you, taking Nugenics makes a huge difference for me. Nugenics? That's the uh, testosterone booster with TV ads with Frank Thomas. The big hurt, right? Oh, yeah. The patented key ingredient is Testofin, which helps boost free testosterone levels and increase lean muscle mass. Well, it's clearly working for you. Hey, are they still giving out complimentary bottles for people to try for themselves? Yeah, Nugenics is a great way to increase lean muscle and feel stronger with more energy and endurance. Man, I need to get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics. No problem. You just got to send them a text. Text BICEP to 321-321 right now for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC. Plus, text now and we'll include a bottle of new Nugenics Thermo, our most powerful fat incinerator ever, to help get you back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text BICEP to 321-321. That's BICEP to 321-321. You're busy, so let Z-Best Original Tunis Restaurant at 7400 103rd Street help out. Z-Best Tunis Restaurant offers the original Kronos Euros, oysters, shrimp, fish, wings, and more. A pound of gizzards or livers is $4.99, 30 jumbo shrimp just $9.99. The classic chicken sandwich is just $3.99. Discounts for military, first responders, and school employees. Z-Best Original Tunis Restaurant, 7400 103rd Street, on Facebook at Z-Best The Original. Welcome to Jacksonville.Radio. We're a family of radio stations serving the Jacksonville and South Georgia areas. As a service to our community, we highlight organizations and events that help make this area the best place in the country to live. Thank you for listening to Our North Florida Neighborhood. Hey, and welcome to North Florida Neighborhood. I'm Colby, and North Florida Neighborhood is all about getting to know our neighbors and hearing what really cool, sweet, fun stuff they're doing with us and for us in our community. And today, the neighbor we're chatting with is Jared Rice. He's the executive director for the Players. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the discussion. Me too. And Jared, before we kind of jump into really what everybody always talks about come this time of the year, can you give me a background history on who the Players is? Sure. Um, well, I mean, it's, um, we, we only have an hour, right? Oh, okay. I don't <laughs> know about that. <laughs> there, there's a lot of history here. And, um, you know, I say that with uh, the highest and utmost appreciation for this community mm-hmm. because I think this, the story of the players is, is such a remarkable one. Um, I think when people, you know, get hear it locally um, and, you know, because we know it so well, um, that sometimes we kind of lose sight of the fact that this was a tremendous um, example of, um, you know, what I, what I would call, um, you know, economic development uh, at its finest. And so in 1980, uh, Dean Beeman uh, purchased the land out here in, in, um, uh, in Ponte Vedra uh, from the Fletcher brothers. That um, was really a land play for both groups to relocate the PGA Tour headquarters from Washington, D.C. down to Ponte Vedra. And Commissioner Beeman at the time had, had been uh, a recent player on tour and really fell in love with this area through the Greater Jacksonville Open and 
and Sawgrass Country Club, really. And um, when we made that move, not only was it, um, you know, for the land that would become the headquarters of the PGA Tour, but also for Commissioner Beeman's uh, vision at, at that time to build a golf course uh, that would challenge the, uh, you know, the, the best field of players in, in all of golf. And so he had a vision for the Players' Championship um, way back when, and, uh, and, and building a course that was what we call purpose-built, uh, not only to, to challenge the best players in the game um, for their complete game, so you have to do everything really, really well, but also doing it in front of fans and, mm. and deep galleries. And that's where stadium, stadium um, golf was really born. So um, I could go on and on, as you probably could tell, but <laughs> I just think it's really interesting that you know, this really was a, a perfect example of, of economic development and a vision by our commissioner at the time, Dean Beeman, uh, to really get behind this community because of how well it supported the Greater Jacksonville Open and where he thought he could take the PGA Tour with the Players' Championship um, here in Northeast Florida. No, Jared, thank you so much for that rich history because as someone who's been in Jacksonville for a while now and even someone who's um, gone to TBC just to spectate, I really appreciate that because I didn't know that it was built for this reason. We just always hear about how great the course is and how expensive it is to play and how it's so hard. But I didn't know that it was for this intention. Yeah, and and um, the, the the Players' Championship, um, our first commissioner, Joe Day, um, was commissioner in 1974 when the, when the concept started, uh, you know, as, as the Players' Championship. And then when Commissioner Beeman took over and, again, made the decision to, to move, he really um, just kind of energized and, and, and really embraced the concept of the players and said, okay, how do we make this even better? Because he loved the idea. And so when you think about the Players' Championship, it's statistically the best field of, in golf. That means by performance, the people that get, get into the players – are the best performers over the last year. So they're the best at what they do in professional golf. They're playing on a golf course that, like you just said, is, in, is, is, is difficult, but it, it, it was designed ahead of its time to withstand the test of time. And it is a purpose-built and, you know, and, and layout that really tests every part of your game. So now you've got the best at what they do, having to play their complete game to beat the best of the tour and then doing it in a place that is, um, you know, really just so supported from the community and in front of a large amount of fans who can see all of this because of the way the course was built. It really is a remarkable thing. So do you think that they kind of really hit the nail on the head with how they ended up orchestrating everything? Have you seen like a pretty good turnout each year and then even difficulty of the course like do people like this did it work <laughs> <laughs> i i think it i think it did um I, I i certainly like to think that it did and and evidenced by um you know the economic impact that we bring on an annual basis to northeast florida the global distribution of the tournament around the again around the world to to show this property in this community is because of um, you know how well the the tournament is supported, and and how you know how much drama and defining moments there are during the during the tournament. Um, you know, I, I I think it it clearly was a recipe and has been a recipe for success, and we still have the ability to grow. Um, one one note I will make is that there's a there's a great story that uh, during the first couple of days that the course was playable and open. Um, you know, there was some there was some discussion about whether number seventeen was hard enough. Now, at the time, again, it's the Island Green. Oh yeah. And um, and, and so, and so uh, when the designers and and Pete, Pete Dye and, and Dean Beeman and, and others played it, um, they were playing in you know in front of nobody. And and you know, of course, they play the course and they're having this discussion. And then um, a few days into the to the opening. Um, they were playing in front of about 30 people, um, and they all missed the green. And so it was at that moment where they said, okay, like, I get it. Like, now I see how the power of galleries and the mm -hmm. pressure of what fans can do positively, you know, bring that energy that 
you know, was, was again, intentional in the design of this course. It was built to have a lot of people on that hole in a dramatic point of the tournament to, to put that extra pressure. I mean, you got to get through that to, to win. And that's why it's the hardest tournament to win in professional golf. So as we kind of transition to, I mean, post and even current COVID, things are, things are switching. This competition for people who don't know it's it's happening march 11th through the 14th and tickets are already totally sold out so how you, you just talked about how important it is with the fan factor but now that's definitely been limited so what's that going to look like hmm. for the competitors this year well i think the um we're in a very fortunate position um you know, relative to the overall cycle and and, and timing of the tournament mm-hmm. um where we're looking forward to being able to um, you know, highlight and show not only the sports world, but, but this, you know, the, the sport, how, um, Jacksonville and Northeast Florida can responsibly and safely support an event of, of this magnitude in, in our community. Yeah. And so that's going to be a great opportunity, right? I mean, it's really is to say that, and, and we've asked a lot of people to do things a little bit differently this year, whether mm-hmm. it's wearing a mask, whether it's, you know, watching your distance and washing your hands when you're on site. Um, and doing the responsible things that we're asking of our fans this year. Um, but there's still going to be, um, you know, it's 20% of our max capacity. Um, but, you know, that still is, is going to be a great experience for those that are coming out. And you ask a great question that um, those that are coming out will certainly be, you know, part of the, a part of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And there is no question that the, you know the, the 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 magnitude of the tournament and fans coming back to to some level within our sport will um, you know provide that extra atmosphere and that extra again positive pressure to our players when they're coming down the stretch trying to win a players championship. And I'm sure that the fans that are coming this year are ten times more excited because they got canceled halfway through that last year, correct? So we did end up um, canceling the tournament. Um, on Thursday last year of 2020. Mm -hmm. So that was a decision that was made Thursday evening. And, um, I, I think you're right. Although I haven't, I haven't talked directly with too many players since, uh, Friday morning, March 13th of 2020. Um, you know, the, I think as you, as, as your listeners, um, hear what our players are saying about the players championship, they talk with reverence, appreciation, magnitude. They understand what it means to, to come back a full year later. Um, for all of us, that week of players um, really began what was, um, you know, the start of a you know, challenging time and, and trying to manage this, this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think for the players being able to come back and having a return to four competitive rounds of golf and, and doing it in a way that um, – yeah, we we believe is is safe and responsible. Um, I, I think they're going to be really excited about it, and they've and they've said as much to date. So um, we're really looking forward to it in here in a in a handful of days. Oh, I'm I'm sure. So now, what can people expect? Um, whether they are able to attend, and they were kind of those first few to get the tickets, or if we're just watching at home, how how can people be involved? Well, I, another great question. So for us, this is one of our biggest challenges because we ask the community to come out and support. And that's part of our DNA. And we only have, out of necessity, we have limitations on what we can do. And so, yes, the community came came forward and, and snapped up tickets very, very quickly. Um, and that's, again, that's we're appreciative of that. And, and we're going to have a you know very positive experience, although it'll look a little different. We still have local restaurants. We're still doing you know, some technology advancements. We're going to have, for those that are coming out, they're going to have a great experience following golf and, and enjoying their day out here for those that are not it's still important and i'm asking the, the listening community to, to engage around the tournament because when you do that allows us to be in a position to be, to continue to um you know provide you know, economic and charitable benefit back to this community so even watching it on television following it on social media um we have um done some partnerships with local golf courses that will do you know, players' promotions with gift bags and themes around drink specials and food and um, go out and enjoy the games and, and tell people you're doing that. So it's 
how do we bring the tournament experience to the fans um, that aren't able to come out? It's, it's things like that um, that can be very helpful to us. Engage with the game. Watch it on television. Uh, we have an Every Shot Live product that um, is a streaming product on NBC Sports Gold app. And it means that um, you would be able to watch every shot by every golfer playing the Players' Championship live on your device. That doesn't happen anywhere else in professional golf other than the Players' Championship. So we've got some pretty cool things that we're bringing to fans that aren't otherwise able to come on site. Jared, one thing I want to hit on because, I mean, this tournament brings so many people from all over. Like you said, it's literally the best of the best. And then even fans of golf, they just they come to Jacksonville to witness it. And that is a huge economic stimulation for our community. So have you kind of seen a drop in that or are you kind of hoping to make up for it somewhere else? Well, I think when we talk about um, engagement and and how to as a as a as a listener, how we can show our respective community, our, our personal and social and business communities that this is a big deal for us, is do things like that. Is hey, I'm gonna you know I'm I'm watching online, I'm I'm watching at home, I'm I'm listening through PGA Tour radio, I'm going out to play golf because it's Players Week. When our respective networks hear that, it's a reinforcement again, just of how big this tournament is. Um, that that that's something that we can all do relatively easily. As it relates to to fans coming in from out of town, um, certainly we've seen a reduction in that with a limited capacity. Um, we are still having, from a PGA Tour perspective, a, a very limited amount of national partners coming in, although it is it is less than previous years. Um, but the things that we do leading into tournament week and through championship week, again, through those, whether it's, you know, watch parties at local restaurants, hashtag in the tournament, following it, watching it, telling people you're doing that, that sets us up for greater success in 2022. Um, and I, I know that we're going to do a really nice job and there's a lot of enthusiasm for our national partners to come back to Northeast Florida in 2022 they they really love coming here with their customers and i know just as fans we're super excited and one thing i've i've always really appreciated about y'all is how much you do for the military especially during players week so is that something y'all are able to still continue this year just with deals you give them or certain services you're providing yeah so we're working with some local restaurant partners uh so go on to the players.com and under our military tab, you can see these things that we're doing, but we're working with our restaurant partners that are typically out here uh, during tournament week, that they're going to be providing discounts for active retired reserve military and their dependents during tournament week. So it's a nice gesture from, from our partners that we would typically be working with to do things on site. Uh, so that's available. Uh, the other thing that we're doing is we'll be soon announcing a uh, program called match for our military. So on Tuesday of tournament weeks, uh, that's, that's March 9th. Um, we are going to take to the community a, a, a fundri- fundraising challenge where um, we, the players, is going to match dollar for dollar up to 250000 mm-hmm. Um Any money's raised uh, that day by our community uh, on behalf of military charities that we typically support. And again, that's something you can learn a little bit more on theplayers.com. But the principle is, is that you know, normally we would be out here uh, watching the flyover. Last year we had a Chainsmokers concert. And our ask is think about you would typically be out on Tuesday enjoying all those things. And when when you do, it puts the tournament in a position to be able to do some some great things with our resources to to local charities. And absent of that, we are asking, hey, think about it and how how you can play a part. And, um, you know, every dollar matters. And we really want to meet or exceed a total of five hundred thousand dollars that we're able to to provide out to. uh, to local military charities and think we can do that. So it's going to be a flyover over the community. We're going to put that on theplayers.com and uh, some other pretty pretty fun things that we're doing on Tuesday the 9th. So um, that's a, definitely check out the website and see how you can get involved on, on Tuesday. Yeah, and I really appreciate how you guys have been so consistent with, all right, we gave this much to a certain organization or we partner well with this company or organization. And you're like, just because we're limiting the amount of people doesn't mean we're still not going to have those partnerships. So, Jared, thank you so much for that. 
Well, it's, um, again, going back to, to Commissioner Beeman, um, when he moved here, and again, his vision for the players was this is a public trust, and it's a really mm-hmm. remarkable model when we think about coming out to this tournament, having a lot of fun, hosting customers, being a golf fan, seeing these athletes, they're remarkable people and, and love this community. I have, you know, I do run into it from time to time on the road in normal environment. And um, they 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 know Taco Lou. They <laughs> they know feeding Northeast Florida. Um, you know they know canines for warriors. They mm-hmm. ask about these things. So this is the if you think about the PGA Tour schedule, there is only one other tournament that is played at the same place every year longer than the players, and that's the Masters. Mm-hmm. So this is truly the home course for a lot of our players, um, figuratively, of course, and. Um, you know, when, when, you know, they're, they're here and the community does all of those things in a normal environment, coming out, having a good time, enjoying the, the, the athletic achievement and, and watching all of that, that puts us in a position to say, because you came out, Hey, thanks. Here's what we can do back for you. Mm-hmm. And those are some significant, significant dollars, significant resources. And, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, we, you could say we're, we're certainly, we are certainly proud of our ability to do that. Um, but honestly, it's, it's driven by fans in the community. When, when, you know, listeners and yourself, when we rally around the, the players, it just puts us in a position to be able to do more. And that's a really, again, really great thing. So Jared, one thing as somebody who has been to TPC before, and I'm, I don't golf at all. I play a little putt putt, but I really want you to give me the rundown on why this course is such a good course. Yeah. You said it, it's perfect for fans and it's hard, but why is it so hard? And and why are people continuously coming year after year? I think there's two things from a, from a competitive perspective, even if you don't like golf, um, I'll get through this as quick as I can. No, 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 no. I think about what I, I just don't really play. <laughs> that's fine. That's, that's great. That's fine. Still, that, that, and we have, nor, nor can I. So that's that's great. Oh, um, oh my gosh. Okay, sweet. <laughs> I thought you were like right up there with the pros. That makes me feel better. <laughs> no, no, not not at all. Um, but but from a competition perspective, statistically, the best players over the last year, they're put on a course that doesn't favor any one style of play. So that means you have to hit it long. You've got to be accurate off the tee. You have to be able to move the ball right to left, left to right, so it doesn't favor a, right, a person, a righty or lefty that hits a ball, you know, it prefers a certain uh, ball flight. So you have to be able to do everything in your game. Chip, putt, it all has to be working because the course is designed to do exactly that. And if, um, as a for instance, the first tee and the tenth tee, um, are designed very similarly because when the course was originally designed, Pete Dye didn't want to give any golfer an advantage over the other when we when we go when we start off of two tees on Thursday and Friday. So some people start on number one, some people mm. start on number ten for their round. So that's how much he was thinking about it. That is uncommon. And so then again, when you build a stadium style golf course that's imminently walkable, and people can pick out great areas to see four or five shots of golf, hang out with customers, hang out with friends, be outside, enjoy um, great food, beverages, um, you know, latest and greatest technology uh, in a normal year, effectively have a front row seat and see the, see the players up close because there's so many places to actually watch golf. It, it, it's a facility and an experience that brings people much closer to one another into the game and I, I just don't I, there there's no other place that that does it like that so um that that that's what makes this really special and i know for those that have come out you know there's there's parts of what i just said that really um a, a, a apply and appeal to them um and the idea that when you're here you don't necessarily have to be a golfer if you love our community you love what a major professional event does for our community and you like being with friends or you like the, the competition or you're you're doing business there, there's something for everyone out here i i think you said it best jared when you said you don't have to be a golfer but to, to not appreciate everything that's gone into this course so what's something that you're most excited about for this year since it is going to be a little different yeah i think there's um 
what I'm most excited for is uh, is to crown a champion. And uh, to do that for our players and our community, I know is something that our staff, you know, as I'm, we're, we're talking, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a, you know, a number of our staff that are not too far from me at the moment. And, um, you know, for your listeners, I think what's interesting is that this group of people, uh, you know, they're, they're so motivated to make sure that everyone, when they come out, has a great time. That, that's what motivates our team. And that great time could again serve anyone, you know, any number of purposes, uh, golf fans, business, social, whatever it is. And w- when we are able to do that, to see firsthand the the charitable impact that um, mm. you know our, our you know that support enables is is a really really powerful thing. And I think over COVID uh, and through this period of time, that's just become we've become much more aware and uh, intentional about that. So that's. Long one to say, and um, looking forward to a champion. But um, over the course of four days, to be able to see through the the impact this tournament can have on the community is is really what gets us fired up. Mm, yeah, and I know even as somebody, like I said, who doesn't love golf, I I'm excited too, just for that fact of bringing people together. Well, Jared, tell us one more time how we can get in contact, um, how we can learn more even about the organizations that the players are serving or how we can watch uh, like from hole to hole and follow along with this once March 11th does come up. Yeah. So the players.com uh, is where you want to go and you'll see even on our site front today, um, the, the every shot live promotion and that product, there's information about that on our website front today and, and, you know, again, for our for your listeners that purchased the ticket in 2019 and 2020, we're going to send you a link so that um, you'll be able to sign up and get that service for free, um, courtesy of, of us and our partners at NBC uh, during Players Week. But there's information about that. Under tickets, you'll see uh, military information as well as for those that are coming out, some parking information. And um, that is really your, your resource guide to make sure that you're aware of um, – what you need to know, and, and certainly I would ask, uh, if you're coming out, um, you know, there's really kind of four things. If you're not feeling well, uh, feeling great, do the responsible thing, and, um, and, and, and don't come that day. Um, and if you are able to come, uh, you know, think about the three W's I mentioned. Uh, we're going to ask you to wear a mask. We're going to ask you to watch your distance. Uh, we're going to ask you to, to wash your hands as, as you normally would. Um, you know, throughout COVID here. And, and if we're able to do those things together and for the greater good, we're going to have a great tournament week. Well, perfect, Jared. Thank you so much for all you do. And thanks for being such a great neighbor in our neighborhood. Thank you for listening to our North Florida neighborhood. Listen again next week. And if you have an event or organization you'd like highlighted, please contact Colby King.